This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. John chapter 19. We are seeing portraits of Christ in the Gospel of John. John 19, beginning in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. Then when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From that time on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we come to this account about the cross, we are so humbled that he who is King of kings and Lord of lords should become a human being, should be faithful and obedient to you, and go to the cross to become a sacrifice for our sins. We say thank you, Jesus, for showing the love of the Father to us by laying down your life for us, your sheep. Speak to our hearts now as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
Today's message is entitled, What the Cross Means for You. And there's three simple points that I think will unfold before you as we look at this. First of all, Jesus was innocent, but you are not. What does the cross mean for you? Jesus was innocent, but you and I aren't. Now, let's look at this. That If we go back to John 18, verses 38 to 40, it says, With this he went out again, that's Pilate, the governor, to the Jews and gathered, who were gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. So Pilate, being a uh, political leader and uh, having to make judgments um, regarding um, charges, found no basis of charge against Jesus. He declared Jesus innocent, not once, not twice, but six times, Jesus was innocent. When he lived on this earth, he was totally innocent. He was tempted in every way as we are, but yet without sin. He never once gave in to temptation. He never once sinned. And you might say, well, he was the son of God. He was perfect. Sin didn't even tempt him. It's just the opposite. Because he was the Son of God, he endured temptation to the nth degree, whereas you and I might cave in the very first time we're tempted. He experienced temptation to its deepest level and yet never sinned. He was innocent, he was sinless, he was blameless. Our Lord fulfilled all righteousness. He was completely righteous. He never broke one law of God he totally obeyed the word of God. And here in this time where the Jewish leaders are trying to pin on him a reason for why the Roman government should execute him, the governor Pilate says, I find no basis for charge against him. And he offers, as is the custom, for them to have one prisoner released. And this is a custom every year to have one criminal released at Passover time. And they said, do you want Jesus, king of the Jews, or do you want Barsabbas? And they chose Barsabbas. They said, not him, give us Barabbas. Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. This is interesting. Not only was it a a thief and a robber and a rebel, but he had killed people. He was guilty of all manner of um, evil and wrong, and yet the Jewish leaders led the people to want um, Barabbas over Jesus. When you stop to think about that, Barabbas represents you and me. Why did Jesus go to the cross? He went to the cross because of our sin. Who put Jesus on the cross? We did. It's because we sinned, we rebelled against God, we fell away, that Jesus came and he fulfilled all righteousness and he gave a sinless life on the cross in our place. So in a very real way, Jesus died in the place of Barabbas, just as Jesus died in our place 
for the sin we deserved. Jesus was innocent. Notice that it says in John 19, 4, once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And again in verse 6, but Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Not only does he find Jesus innocent, but now he's going to shake in his sandals when he finds out that the charge that the Jewish leaders have against Jesus is that he claimed to be the Son of God. So now that raises the ante. It's not just he's innocent, but you want to crucify him because he claims to be the Son of God? Pilate is now thinking twice, because he had been warned by his wife, who had a bad dream, don't have anything to do with this. And now, he, as it's coming clear to him, it says, um, the Jewish leaders insisted we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace and said, where do you come from? And uh, Jesus gave him no answer. And so um, he says, don't you know I have the power to either set you free or crucify you? And Jesus says, you would have no power unless it was given to you from above. And, uh, and the one who handed me over to you is more guilty than you are. And that would be Caiaphas, the high priest, who was very guilty. He's the one who, by the Holy Spirit, was who predicted that one man would die for the nation of Israel, Jesus. So, we have here that Jesus was innocent, but we are not. You and I are guilty of sin. Our sin is what put Jesus on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross in our place to pay for our sin, and he gave up his innocent, sinless, blameless, blemish-free, righteous life for you and me, so that we could be forgiven and made righteous in God's sight. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the amazing grace of God. That is the gift that we have, that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ paid for your sin in full? He's going to say later in this account, um, it is finished. Paid in full. Secondly, not only uh, is Jesus innocent and you and I are guilty, but Jesus is king and you either accept him or reject him jesus is king and the question to you is do you receive him or do you reject him now let's see the example of the jewish leaders and those they've influenced because in john 18 we see that pilate went back inside the palace summoned jesus and asked are you the king of the jews your own people and chief priests handed you over to me what is it you've done and jesus said my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would 
fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then. Jesus is a king. He's a king of all who trust in him. And right now there's a spiritual kingdom, but one day there's going to be a literal kingdom when he reigns on earth. He's coming back. He came first as Lamb of God. He's coming back as the Lion of Judah. He came first as our sacrifice, and he's coming back as our sovereign. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is a king. He does have a kingdom. And Pilate heard this. So now the soldiers, and this is what really tears me up every time at Easter time I read this passage of what the soldiers did to him. It just rips me to shreds inside. The soldiers twisted together a, a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they clothed him in a purple robe. And, and, and this is after he had been flogged. Now, you know, the flogging is with the leather uh, uh, cords that have bone and metal uh, uh, chips in them so that when they rip the skin right off, you know, the person is barely uh, recognizable just a mass of ripped flesh. And, um, and to imagine putting a crown of thorns on his head and a, a, a purple robe that's just sticking to the blood of his body, it, it's just so sad, it's so terrible. But they don't stop there. They move to the mocking, the embarrassing, the humiliation of, of just uh, um, belittling him. They kept coming to him, slapping him in the face, and, and saying, Hail, you king of the Jews! Does that rip you up inside? It does me too. And, um, and uh, obviously they rejected Jesus. And then in John 19, 5-6, when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to the, Jewish, the chief priests and their officials, uh, Here is the man... As soon as they saw him uh, dressed in the purple robe and with the crown of thorns, they said, crucify him, crucify him, be, be off with him, take him away, we don't want anything to do with him. He deserves death. And then in 19, 14, and 15, it was the day of preparation of the Passover, it was about noon, here's your king. He goes from here's, your, here's the man to here's your king. And Pilate said to the Jews, these words, and they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And he says, shall I crucify your king? And this is the epitome of irony. The Jewish leaders find themselves saying with their own lips, we have no king but Caesar. Guess what? They're charging Jesus for blasphemy claiming that he's the son of God, who he is. But they're blaspheming because now they're attributing Caesar, a human being, as being their king, their ruler. They're even saying Caesar's more important than God in that statement. We have no king but Caesar. So they not only reject Jesus, but they exalt the world. They exalt a human leader over God. In John 19, 19-22, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because 
Jesus, the place where Jesus was crucified, was near the city. It's just outside the city. And all these pilgrims from around the world were there for the Passover celebration. And therefore, it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Those were the languages of the day. Anyone from anywhere in the world would be able to read one of those languages and realize who the charge that was put against Jesus is he was being crucified because he, he's the king of the Jews. Now, the Jewish people seeing that were upset. The chief priest said, uh, don't write the king of the Jews. Write that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. In other words, deal with it. So Jesus is king. The question is, do you receive him or reject him? John 1, 1 11 to 12, we obviously have seen that he came to his own people and he rejected him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who do receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God. So you can receive Jesus Christ. You can believe in him as your Lord and Savior, have your sins forgiven, receive the gift of eternal life, and be a child of God. That's the important part. But back then, the people rejected him and wanted him crucified. The third point is this. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Therefore, believe. Did you see in John 19 these verses? John 19, 35 and 36. John inserts this about himself. He says, the man who saw it which is John, the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. Why is John telling us all this? So that we may believe, that we may trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then he says this interesting thing. These things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. That's so important that how do we know Jesus is the Messiah? The answer, he has fulfilled the messianic prophecies. The prophecies about the Messiah were, that were predicted hundreds of years in advance were fulfilled by Jesus. Let's look at how this is emphasized by John. We see here in uh, John 19 that um, in verses uh, 20 and following, it's uh, 23, when the um, soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, this is Psalm 22, verse 18, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. For my garment. So there you have it. John is saying to you, open your eyes. Can't you see Jesus as the Messiah? Something that was beyond his control, that his soldiers gambling for his seamless undergarment occurred just as it was foretold 
in Psalm 22. Another of the prophecies that um, John emphasized was that of Jesus being given vinegar. In John 19, 28, and 29, it says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, this is very important because that is a fulfillment of Psalm 69, verse 21. It also says in Psalm 22, describing the crucifixion in detail before the whole method of executing criminals by, uh, by crucifixion was even invented. It says that his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. That's how dry his mouth would be. Now, there, were, there was, had been earlier, some gall was offered to Jesus, and gall was something that would deaden the pain, but Jesus refused it. He experienced the full weight of God's wrath against sin and would not take anything to deaden or lessen that. The wine, the vinegar, wine vinegar that was given to him, was the wine that the soldiers would drink while they were watching the criminals dying. And that was given to him, and that technically should have prolonged his life. There's no way that Jesus, who never sinned, was in excellent condition, should have died on the cross in a mere six hours. The others continued to live so much that they had to break their bones um, so that they couldn't lift themselves up to get air anymore, and they would asphyxiate. But Jesus was not a victim. He was a victor. He gave up his spirit. He chose to die and give up his life for us, and he said, it is finished, paid in full. Jesus was on the cross for six hours. The second half, the last three of those six hours, there was supernatural darkness. I believe that not only did Jesus suffer physically and emotionally for our sins, but I believe in that supernatural darkness that even the forces of evil were pummeling him in his being that no human being could withstand. He took hell for you and for me. No wonder he was dead in six hours. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Now you can see other prophecies that were fulfilled. It says that he would be crucified among thieves. And here in John 19, 18, it says they crucified him with two, with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Now Chuck Bain, who helped found this church and was a leader in this church for many years, said the most powerful sermon he ever heard was about the three crosses. He says those three crosses represent 
a man who was a criminal who died in sin. But it also represented a criminal who trusted in Jesus as Savior and he died to sin. And in the middle was Jesus who died for sin. Chuck says, I'll never forget that sermon. It just lays it out. One died in sin, one died to sin, and Jesus died for our sin. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And it was predicted in Psalm 34.20 that none of his bones would be broken. So when the leaders wanted the bodies removed before the special Passover, they had the soldiers break the bones. So they broke the bones of the criminal on one side, the criminal on the other side. When they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. A soldier um, stabbed him in the side with a spear, and out came water and blood. When water and blood are separated from one another, according to medical doctors, it's a sure sign of death. So anyone who wants to come up with the swoon theory, that he merely swooned, as in uh, was unconscious, uh, and then was resuscitated in the coolness of the tomb, is wrong. Because the evidence of death is the separation of water and blood. He was dead. His blood, his life blood, was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. There's no remission of sins or forgiveness of sins except by the shedding of blood. And Jesus shed his blood as our sacrificial Passover lamb so we could be forgiven. And then it was predicted in advance that he would be buried in a tomb among the rich. It was um, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea that claimed his body, prepared his body, and put his body in a new tomb that was belonging to Joseph um, among the rich. How, that was beyond Jesus' control, and it was fulfilled to the T. A number of years ago, Peter W. Stoner and Robert C. Newman wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. And the book was based on the science of probability and vouched for by the American Scientific Affiliation. And it set out the odds of any one man in all of history fulfilling even only eight, only eight of the 60 major prophecies and 270 ramifications fulfilled by the life of Christ. The probability that Jesus of Nazareth could have fulfilled even eight such prophecies would be only one in 10 to the 17th power. That'd be one in one with all these zeros. Stoner claims that that many silver dollars would be enough to cover the face of the entire state of Texas two feet deep. Now, I've been to Texas. That's where my daughter lives and her family. And I've driven for days to get across Texas. Texas is a very big state. And who in their right mind would suppose that a blindfolded man heading out of Dallas, by foot, in any direction, would be able on his very first attempt 
to pick up one specifically marked silver dollar out of 10 to the 17th power. Prophecy was fulfilled by Jesus to the nth degree. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. So what does the cross mean for you? Number one, Jesus was innocent, but you and I are not. Number two, Jesus is king, and we either receive him or reject him. And number three, Jesus fulfilled prophecy, and that's the evidence we need to believe. This is how John is laying it out. And if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is your day. I want you to look at this prayer. It says, Jesus, thank you for giving your innocent, sinless, completely righteous life as a sacrifice for my sin, in my place, for me to be forgiven and made righteous before God the Father. I believe in you as my Savior and receive you as my King on the basis that you alone have fulfilled all the Messianic prophecies. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.